If you would like to borrow a Bible uh, this morning, then raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible. Uh, and, you know, the students are gone. I know some of the students are left. People are all over for the summer. I know some of you are just here for the summer, just new to our church, and you're thinking, what's next? Just remember ethos communities. That's the way to plug in this summer or any time of the year, ethos communities. Even if your ethos community is taking the summer off, go to another one if you want to connect. That's, that's the way to connect over the summer. This week has been a bit full for me and my family. My wife's grandmother died earlier in the week, and she attended the funeral in Nebraska. And then on another note, we had a, a wonderful wedding celebration yesterday of Brad and Lorna Beth. It's so wonderful to see you guys, the two of you in church today. That's awesome. And in between these, these huge events, uh, my kids were finishing up school. And throughout all of a, of a crazy, busy uh, week, I kept working and thinking and praying about this passage in Matthew. If you want to turn there, it's Matthew 10. Uh, we're going to the book of Matthew right now. It's Matthew 10, and it's going to be 16 through 42, which kind of just brings a broader perspective in my life. And I do want to say, every now and then I come across a passage in the Bible that I'm studying, preparing for the sermon for the week, that is, I just want to admit, okay, it's significantly out of sync with the way that I think. It is significantly out of sync with the way that I experience life. So don't think I'm coming up here preaching this passage just saying, all right, I get this. It really is out of sync. And I think that we have, we have an option. I think we have a couple options here this morning. One, we can say, you know what? It's out of sync with the way that most of us live. So let's just dismiss it, ignore it, perhaps explain it away. Or we can say, this is God's word. When Jesus speaks, it's legit. And so let's just make a little agreement here this morning. You won't throw much at me, and I'll just tell you what it says. And by God's grace, by the power of his spirit, we're going to take it as God's word. Even though it may rub us wrong, we may think different about it, but we're going to attempt by the power of God to actually walk in this and live in this as strikingly different as it may be than our lives. Agree? You cool with that? Good. So it's too long to read. We usually read the passages, but this is a long one. But I want to give you some context for those of you who are just getting into Matthew right now. Last week we saw Jesus' heart of compassion for the lost. Remember, he's moved with his gut of compassion for those who don't know him. And what he did, he sent out his 12 apostles to go and preach the gospel and to do these mighty deeds in Israel. That was verses 5 through 15. But now in verses 16 through 42, what we have here is a a broadening of his mission. As we go through this, it looks like he's not just talking about the 12, but he's talking about this future mission to the world that disciples of all ages will face as they go out on mission to proclaim the gospel. And as they go out and do this word and deed combination of proclaiming Jesus and showing compassion, there is going to be major pushback. There is going to be persecution. Where the world in general, I just want to say as a general statement, the world generally will not receive us well. Yes, some will praise our Father in heaven and give glory as we shine our light, but a significant amount of people will be against us. They will oppose us. And this is a consistent teaching of the New Testament, is the concept of persecution, opposition to the gospel. 
And what Jesus is going to say through this whole section to his disciples and to us disciples is that we must not let this opposition catch us off guard. But we've got to expect it and persevere in it. Now, and I realize, once again, this is not going to be a popular, fun teaching. But this is the Word of God. And I believe we draw, we draw closer to His Word. We're going to draw closer to our Lord through this. This is, this is really significant. I, I do not want to throw this out. This is so significant. So let's just go verse by verse and, and make our way through this passage. Let's start with verse 16 of chapter 10. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. I don't know the picture we get when we think about being sent out on mission or being missional. But Jesus says, as we go out, it is going to be dangerous. Our church often stresses this concept of mission, but I'm not quite sure what we have in our mind, that we're going to go out to the bars, and we're going to jump up to the bar, and we're going to be hanging out in the bars, and as we're hanging out there, we're going to tell everybody about Jesus, and they're just going to love us. Or we're going to go work out at our gym, and as we're working out, pumping some iron, running on the treadmill, we're going to tell people about Jesus, and they're going to say, that's great. We love you even more now. Maybe that's the concept we have of being on mission, that it's always going to go great. But Jesus is saying, I'm sending you out to the gym. I'm sending you out to the bar. And as you go out there and proclaim Jesus, you're going to be sheep among wolves. And I don't know if you know anything about wolves. I don't. But I guarantee you, the only thing you know is they're there to rip sheep apart. That would be you. But he's not done with his metaphor here. He switches over from the sheep concept as sheep are vulnerable and helpless. And he adds these two other images of this. He says, be wise like a serpent and innocent as a dove. So as we go out, we're very vulnerable. We're sheep to the slaughter here as we're with the wolves. But we want to have wisdom like a serpent. That, that would be like this common sense to maneuver around attacks, but maneuver in such a way that we're like a dove, we're innocent. And this is a delicate balance, and I think takes the Holy Spirit. I just kind of picture a boxer juking and jiving, but never punching back. Going out to the world, we're going we're gonna to dodge the opposition if possible, but at the same time, we're not going to strike back. We're going to be innocent and still proclaim the gospel. And it's a delicate balance. I think someone who does this really well is Pastor Douglas Wilson. He, there's this film out right now. It's called Collision, where Douglas Wilson is debating the atheist Christopher Hitchens. It's, it's all over the, the internet and on YouTube. You can watch it. But, but, but Christopher Hitchens is kind of like just, just ranting, ranting, ranting. And Douglas Wilson is very calm. He's very firm. And yet he's, he's very innocent. And it's, it's a very delicate balance we need as we go out into the world as, as we are sheep among the wolves. Let's keep going. Verse 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over... Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. 
So he's saying, look, many of you disciples are going to be dragged before the courts. You're going to be dragged before these high-ranking officials. You're going to be abused. Even the religious institutions are going to abuse you. But the very purpose of this interrogation, did you catch it, was so that they could bear witness. Are you catching this? Persecution is an actual means of spreading the gospel. As they were going to be arrested, and the pressure was going to be on the disciples, as it is today in many parts of the world, as the pressure's on, that is a context for them to preach the gospel. So God is actually using persecution and has used persecution throughout the years to press down on the church. As the church gets pressed down, the gospel spreads out and grows. It happened in China. It happens in many parts of the world. Recently, I was speaking to a woman about what's going on in Somalia, and she told me there are churches in Somalia. I said, there's there's churches in Somalia? You're kidding me. Somalia's a Muslim country. They just, they squash Christians. What do you mean there's churches there? She goes, yeah, they're, they're just growing like crazy. It's the underground church. As they're being persecuted, they're growing. And what I find fascinating is that that concept of persecution to spread the church is, is often the, the opposite that we hear in America about church growth techniques. Church growth techniques in America say get a nice building, get a sweet parking lot, get a polished speaker, some nice music, and then you'll grow your church. But when I look in the Word, it looks like the Word says you want to grow your church. It happens through persecution and opposition. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. Let's keep going. Verse 20. So have no fear of them. (laughs) Have no fear of them. For nothing is, is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whisper, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body, but I kill the soul, for rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell, or not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore you are of more value than many sparrows. To everyone who acknowledges before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before our father who is in heaven. Now hold your place there and jump back. I just want to cover that. Jump back to 20 as well. Verse 20. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It's not enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. They called the master of the house Bezalel. How much more will they malign those of his household? So we keep having this concept of don't deny me before man. Do not be quiet. Continue to speak up. Continue to press on. And I love it here that Jesus is telling his disciples that they are connected with him even in his suffering. If he is the teacher, we are disciples. If he is the master, we are the servants. If they persecute Jesus, they're going to persecute us. If they malign Jesus and say, Jesus, you're Satan, they're going to say the same thing and malign us as well. But I'm I'm thinking, if if you're consistently looking at this in context, it seems that suffering 
in the name of Jesus will be the norm for Christians until he comes back. And I could be really off on this. I could be misunderstanding what Jesus is saying. Suffering in the name of Jesus will be the consistent norm until he comes back. I mean, Paul says pretty much the same thing. Let me put this scripture up for you in 1 Timothy 3.12. 1 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let's just ask an honest question. I know that some of you come from around the world and you come from different parts of the world where in your country you are persecuted for being a Christian. We live in America. And most Americans are not persecuted because we are associated with Christ. You must admit, most American Christians experience very little persecution and suffering. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about that. That would be ridiculous. I'm not trying to shame you because you and I have experienced so little suffering. But I, I do want to ask a question. Please, please, please be fair with me and I'll be fair with you. Here's the question. How in the world, how is it, is it possible that this world that we live in is giving us a better reception than they gave Jesus? If Jesus lived in America, would he get the same reception that we're getting? You ever thought about that? Like if he came here, would this, he'd be welcomed as we're welcome and experience very little persecution opposition as we experience very little persecution opposition? Like I said, I'm not trying to guilt you and to go out there and get yourself killed. But I want you to think, why is it that we're experiencing so little opposition and actually we're being received better than Jesus would be or was? And you could just say, well, we live in America. It's a free country. We have all these different religions, and we live in this time of history. It's just the time of history, just the way it is. And, and there's part of that. We can just praise God. We have these freedoms. Praise God that we're not threatened by, with our lives every single day. But I, I do think we should, we should shift a little bit and at least ask this question. Is it possible that we're not truly making disciples and commanding them to obey all that Jesus taught? like the Great Commission says? Is it possible that when we make disciples, we're not saying, look, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, you need to obey all that Jesus commanded, no matter what the opposition is of the world. And do you think if we started to move out with that mentality and that mindset, perhaps there would be greater opposition? And you think to yourself, well, why in the world would we want to do that? Well, we, of course, we want to obey the Word of God. But have you ever thought about this? The more opposition and persecution that we face, the sweeter the fellowship is that we have with Jesus. Francis Chan, a very respected pastor, uh, I just love that guy. He, he's saying perhaps we're not experiencing the Holy Spirit and the fellowship with Jesus as much as we possibly could is because there is none of this pushback. Think about the Apostle Paul, what he said in Philippians. Philippians 3.10. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Are you sharing in the sufferings of Christ? Are you living your life in such a way where you're commanding others and you're telling them and you're making disciples, preaching the gospel and teaching them to obey all that Christ has commanded? 
And my guess is, as we start to move out into a world that is opposed to the gospel, and we start to proclaim it more and speak it more, the more the pushback that will come to us, and the sweeter the fellowship will be with Christ. There seems to be a connection between opposition and this sweet fellowship, this fellowship of Christ as we're experiencing these sufferings with him. Just something to think about. Something to think about. But as we continue to, to, to work through here, I think that one of the reasons why we don't like opposition and one of the reasons we don't move out to it and obey obedience to Christ is because this concept of fearing God and not, uh, of not fearing God, but fearing man instead. So if I was going to put you on the spot this morning and bring you up here and say, what does it look like to fear God and to not fear people? There's a lot of things you could say. But in our context here, it seems like Jesus is emphasizing one of the ways that we can show that we do not fear man, but we fear God instead, is that we will share our faith. He seems like he's consistently talking about proclaiming it on the housetops, speaking the truth of the gospel. And the fear of man can make us hide the gospel, it can make us hide the truth of the gospel. But one day, the truth of the gospel will come out for all the world to see at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And so he is telling us, do not fear those who can kill the body, but fear the one who can throw your body and soul into hell. I don't know what your concept of hell is or what your concept of the holiness of God is. We just sung holy, holy, holy. You probably sung that your whole life growing up if you grew up in church. But God is holy. And sinners are separated from him. And if they are not reconciled through Jesus, they will go to a place called hell. And, and I believe it's totally okay to teach our kids the Bible, including hell. I was speaking to my seven-year-old daughter this past week about hell and how hell is for eternity. And when I told her that, she, she started shivering like, Ugh. like it, she really felt in her body what God is getting at here. Fear him. He is holy. Why would someone go to hell forever? Maybe I just don't understand the holiness and the bigness of God. And God is saying, fear me. Do not fear human beings. But not only is he a God of complete and absolute holiness, but he's also a God who is sovereign and loving and knows all the hairs on your head. And he knows when a bird falls to the ground dead, certainly he's going to care for you. And he'll be with you in your suffering and your opposition because he loves you. And so we find ourselves in these contexts where we must speak out. We must fear God and not man And we do not want to deny him. Because if we deny him, the word of God says that he will deny us. I was in a situation recently in the month of May where my wife and I took some some parenting training classes from the state of Illinois. They're public classes. We were in these training classes with about 20 other people from a variety of walks of life. And not everybody in there was believers, but we loved our trainers. We loved the class. We, ha- we had a great time. But on the last day, they all knew I was a pastor in there. On the last day, the trainer asked me, as we were going to do a little potluck meal, the trainer asked me in front of the whole class at a state-sponsored event to pray. And, I, and you know what I did? I paused. I was like deer in the headlights. I was like, this is a state-sponsored event? Is this even legal? That's what I'm thinking up my hair. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, 
And, and, I'm, and the issue was just fear of man. I was like, but I prayed. And, and the question is, did you pray in Jesus' name? Oh, I prayed. Yeah, I prayed in Jesus' name. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I wonder, well, why is that pause there? It's like, I, I, obviously, I don't see the bigness of God and his holiness, how he's so much more bigger than man. And in these contexts, we get in, we want to speak out and acknowledge him. Let's keep going. Verse 34. Do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. Is this the Jesus you learned about growing up in Sunday school? I mean, for real. Were you taught this? This is amazing. I could not get this verse out of my head this week. You came to bring a sword, not peace? What are you talking about? Oh, of course he came to bring peace through his, his perfect life on this earth. Sacrificed on the cross, buried, raised again through faith in him. We, we are reconciled to the Father, right? Peace through faith in Jesus Christ. Peace with God through repentance and faith. But for those who reject Jesus, they will often oppose us. They opposed him. They're going to oppose us. And it specifically means family members. Well, look, look at it. Verse 35. For I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Families back then were tight. And so for families to betray one another back then was, was significant. And in different parts of the world, families are still very, very close to one another. And you, you, you will notice that when in some, certain countries, when they become a believer, there's great opposition against them. I was reading a book recently about a story of where this husband got converted to Christianity and his Muslim wife put ground-up glass uh, in his meals and it killed him. And she was praised in her Muslim community. And when you hear stories like that, you go, is that even real? I mean, are are believers really killed by their family? Like, did his wife really kill him? And you kind of think, you hear these stories, you're like, is that even real? Let me tell you, we have missionaries in our church that we have sent out from here. They're in different parts of the, the world. There are some countries we can't even tell you where they're in. But start getting their newsletters, and as you read their newsletters, they're going to ask you to pray for people who are in jail, people who are facing death, people whose family members hate them. Those are people from our church, as they're talking about indigenous believers that they have reached in their particular countries. It it is real. It, It is real. Family members can turn on those who convert and want them dead. I know many of you face opposition when you, when you get converted here in America from your own family, but in some other parts of the world, it can mean death. Look at verse 37. So what are we to do? Well, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life 
will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He's saying, I must have complete allegiance over you. He loves us. He died for us. He wants our complete allegiance over our parents, over our kids, over any close or other close relationships. In fact, Jesus wants us to have our complete allegiance even over our own lives. We, the concept is to take up our cross and follow him. And the question is, if we take up our cross and follow him, the question is, where is he going? Where are you going, Jesus? Oh, he, he's going to death. And someone mentioned the fact that when it came time for Jesus finally to take up his cross and, and, and follow him, like literally, someone else had to carry his cross when he fell over, right? It was, it was Simon of, of Cyrene, remember? <laughs> Where were the disciples? They were, they were observing. Where is he going? He's going to the cross. And as we take up our cross and follow him, along the way we'll die to ourselves, die to our self-interest. But if it is called for, we must be willing to physically, literally die. And as we lose our life, we'll save it. I don't know about you, but I want to stay in the sheep pen. Don't you? Like, I just want to stay in the sheep pen. I know you want to send us out among the wolves, but I want to stay there. I'll just stay back here, okay? I like, I like it where it's safe. I don't want to be taking risk. I don't want to be jumping out there. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be sharing my faith when someone's going to spit in my face. I don't want to literally die. I want to stay in the sheep pen. And Jesus said, you know what? I put the Spirit of God in you, and I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out. And he is with us always. He has authorized us, but he is sending us out. And it's as we face opposition, the sweet fellowship will occur with him. But you know what? It will also be sweet fellowship with other people. That brings us to the last part. Look at verse 40. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he's a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he's a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So even though the world is hostile to disciples, there's going to be people that God will place in their paths to encourage them along the way. There will be people who will actually provide for the persecuted church. And as we receive them, we're receiving Jesus and we're receiving the Father. They're all associated together. But did you catch that there is a reward? There is a reward for us when we align ourselves with the persecuted church. There is a reward for us when we pray for the persecuted church. There is a reward for us as we give to the persecuted church. And we show that we are with you. We love you. We are connected with you. We are part of the body of Christ. And as you hear about the church being persecuted around the world, you don't want to run from them. You don't want to be ashamed of them. You want to join with them and love them. And, there's, and God is clearly saying, they will receive a righteous person's reward. And so I just, I just thought, you know, I think it'd be very appropriate if we did that right now if we aligned ourselves with our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing persecution. 